Lauren. Mike. So we host a podcast for Wired called Gadget Lab. We do. <laughs> we do. <laughs> yes, that is correct. <laughs> Tell the good people some more about it. Well, I think the good people should definitely tune in every week because they get to hear me roasting you. Hey, no. All right. No, really what Gadget Lab is, is Mike and I tackling the biggest questions in the world of technology. I like to think of it as the best of Wired's journalism, but in audio form. We cover the big news of the week in tech land, but we also offer our expert analyses and opinions on all things consumer tech, whether that's mobile apps, hardware, startups, cryptocurrency. Mike, what's been a recent highlight episode for you? We did a deep dive on the group behind the massive Okta hack. We mm -hmm. also had a great conversation about Web3 and the metaverse. What stands out for you? Never metaverse you didn't like. <laughs> <laughs> I really enjoyed our recent podcast about Peloton. Um, and recently, the legendary tech journalist Kara Swisher joined us to talk all about Elon Musk and the future of Twitter. So I guess we should tell people how they can listen to our pod. We release a new episode of Gadget Lab every week, and you can listen and follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you pod. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary, void, or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Here we are with another episode of Around the Coin. Today's guest, Vlad Pancheco, the CEO and founder of DMarket. DMarket is helping to create a platform, a marketplace infrastructure for Web3 companies to join the metaverse. They're really focusing on gaming, allowing people to trade NFTs, assets, skins between games. This conversation, we really broke into three distinct areas of focus. The first being gaming NFTs, the trajectory of the technology, the challenges, kind of steel manning, the arguments on both sides of why NFTs will be useful or counterproductive in gaming. We talked about Ukraine. Uh, Vlad's team was based in Kiev and he rented a plane to fly people out two weeks before the war. We talked about what they're doing now and how he was able to utilize democracy in the United States, living in Santa Monica to catalyze a real effort to make change in that, in that war, literally. And then we talked about just the general trajectory of the human species, both with the ability to connect right in the back of the neck and matrix style traveling to Mars, the influence of gaming and NFTs on just the general trajectory of the world, which we, I think, made some progress or at least crystallizing our opinions on how we see things moving. So wide ranging conversations on some very interesting topics. So I hope you enjoy. Here is Vlad Pancheco. Vlad, thanks so much for joining today. I'm excited to dig in with you. We've already had a fun pre-show conversation. Let's just start and cover what you're working on first, and then we can get to wherever we go. So D-Market is what exactly? How do you describe what you're working on? And give us just a, give me like a state of how far along you are and the traction that matters, whether it's like users, revenue, fundraising, et cetera. 
First of all, I like and a pleasure to talk to you and thank you for the invitation. It would be a pleasure to touch whatever we will touch uh, today. Yeah, I'm running and I founded D-Market in 2017. And D-Market is, first of all, a marketplace to trade digital items from different games. It's based on the blockchain and the main goal of it is to become a standard in different games. So we, as a players, could not just play games, but also trade items through different games and instances. Right now, we're in the middle of integration of a couple of huge titles, which should be announced by the end of the year. We've been through a couple of rounds of fundraising. Yeah, we have, the last time we raised was, the last officially announced that we raised was two years ago with the final valuation of 28, I think, William. Uh, yeah. Then, from the standpoint of numbers, we have over 3 million uh, in revenue from the last year. We have over 2 million registered users. And we've been trading items for like more than 10 years. So everything is an evolution because I've started from trading games in digital form. Then the skins from a couple of games that allow it. And now it's just a platform for the game developers who want to touch the Web3 and NFT trading, but don't know uh, anything about it. And I uh, want to have all and for one company, like uh, legal stuff, KYC, law stuff, onboarding, offboarding, everything we provided as a package with the marketplace itself. And we have the best KYCML practices in the world in the gaming industry. And the easiest and the most convenient UE and for the player in the world. Hmm. Where do you think this is going? Do you see there being kind of a centralized marketplace built on blockchain that allows people to trade in-game NFT type products in-game? Or, or do you see it being... Uh, more of like the actual marketplace happens in the actual game itself, as opposed to separate from separate from the actual games. Like, how how do you sort of see the trajectory of Oops. gaming and NFTs and trading and everything? We actually don't see both things. So while you will be playing the in the best case scenario, you will have the marketplace in the game where you will be trading with other players and maybe it was the game developer uh, with those items. But outside of the game, there will be another marketplace and marketplaces where you could be uh, trading those items between games or between IPs and attention. But the vertical integrated experience is better for us, the gamers, because the more people are uh, buying something or selling something, uh, the more interesting is uh, the whole play. Mm. And how, how is the process now trading outside the game? Is it quite you know, clunky just by limitations of the technology or time consuming? Or do you feel like it's pretty much as good as it's going to get, like technically? No, we're still far away, but we're much, much colder than we were in 2017. Because even in 2017, when we had the technologies, in general, the public, from the game developers to the players, were not a big sense uh, about trading NFTs and blockchain items. And still, I'm telling you, in 2022, lots of gamers are infuriated about lots of scams and policies in the NFTs and blockchain. And to turn the tide, that's part of the job we're doing. And as far as I can see, we're doing it good and right. That's one part of the equation. Another part of the equation is uh, regulations. Because to, for the legal and taxation purposes, to have it directly stated from the government how it could be done, how it should not be done, it took some time. Now, for example, in the US, the legal field is more or less clear. UK more or less as well. So we're moving there, getting there. But still, what we're missing as the players, as the game developers, is a couple of great cases where it works and brings more fun 
more engagement, more, I know, extending the narrative. So bringing us better experience than it was before. Mm. And how do you sort of see, uh, like, if you were to give a steel man argument or, or give the, the legitimate argument on people who are skeptical of, I guess the argument is that they're skeptical of there being any sort of NFT necessary ization <laughs> in gaming yeah. because you have the game developers all on the platform. They can easily manage the database and control which players own which skins and weapons and everything else. And then the the argument on the other side is, well, you want to have this decentralized. And the two the two kind of general arguments I've heard for why it's better to have it on NFT and decentralization is that the game can't control it. Like in theory, the game has all the power, so they could just take away a skin if you misbehave or something. And then also the inability to trade between different games. How do you sort of think through the nuances of of those arguments? Is is are those did I enumerate that correctly? Is that is there something else big? I'm everything you you've said is hundred percent right. There are a couple of more arguments. For example, the biggest thing from the players is that if you remember the moment when the mobile games became free to play before we were paying like from like five, 10 to $20 for a mobile game to play it. And then somebody invented that model was everything became free to play and players were not happy because they quickly understood that it means that we're spending even more money. And the, the reaction of the public wasn't very much positive, but it worked, it works and it's getting more and more traction. So everything was fine. So with NFTs. The ceiling is close to that. Now, when I'm playing a game and the next one is uh, bringing me NFTs, the feeling is that the game developer is just trying to extract more money from me, not bring me a better experience, not more fun, not engage me in a better way, just to take more money. That's, from my perspective, what's infuriating players the most. On the other side, I was making my first money to pay the internet bills in Ultima Online, where I organized a couple of businesses like getting copper, getting iron, getting crystals, and then organizing the whole group of us, and then reselling that on the market for some real money, real world money, and then paying internet bills. So it was fair virtual labor where everybody was having fun, and NFTs can bring another grade for that, and also make that legal and scalable. Because from my perspective, the game industry valuations can like add one more digit, at the moment we open up that Pandora box, that's what I think. And, and to open up the Pandora box, meaning when you say that, I mean, add, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, what I mean is that at the moment, at the moment, we will see a AAA game, open world game, where we can interact as a business. So for example, the person like in Roblox can create different skins or outfits, sell it right away to another person for real money. And that person do another job for another person and build an ecosystem within the virtual world for people and interpreters to build business and serve each other, to entertain each other, to build items, to do some job, to do some entertaining. So that is where we need the blockchain, the NFTs, and this is what will expand the valuation of the industry much, much more than over like 200, 300, 400 billion dollars. For now, it's like 170 billion for last year. And if it's currently managed, if all that economic activity is currently managed within the ecosystem of the game, how is that limiting the, the GDP or presumably just the, the opportunity for people? Like, w w let me ask it this, this way. Why in the current structure of having the ecosystem of the games themselves, like the AAA game, you know, has closed 
you know, they're not allowing you to move skins and out. Yeah, closed ecosystem. How is that limiting growth or how, how is that not the best way to do it? Like by allowing uh, you I, to move skins out, not, yeah. I have a couple of uh, media far away examples, but they're clear for me. We've seen, for example, countries, the whole countries, like former USSR country, which they had a closed economy, not allowing goods to come in or come out. And the GDP was 100 times lower then at the moment they open up the border, put up the taxation, import tax, export tax, and then you can do whatever you want. This is what I believe in. So yeah, I do believe uh, in the capitalism world where entrepreneurs can uh, do something and invest some businesses within the ecosystem. So for example, you know, with the Steam schemes, when Steam opened up an ABI, somebody did some bad things like open up, up casino and using skins as a, as a money, but somebody Build up, for example, the skins cash where you can just exchange one skin on another right away and to trade them right off for the real time, for the real money. Somebody is now can lend you, and I know the guys were making lots of money, just lending you the skins for some money and then uh, working effectively as a, like a creative load agency, but for virtual items. So this is what I'm saying, complicated for the game developer. That is true. It's much easier to close the borders, hold the fort. And then make as much money as they do and entertain the way they can do. But I believe in humans' uh, creativity, in creating different ways of doing business together, entertaining each other. Just give us the tools, text us. I mean, to do the taxation, like put the point there, like whatever the game developer wants, and then let us create something. I don't even know what, but it would be beautiful. Now, I, I sort of interpret this as if you make an analogous sort of parallel to the social networks out there, like Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, those are all closed ecosystems and they have their own incentive structures within them. You know, like a tweet can get liked, it can get reshared, you can get followers. And the same sort of social mechanics are true on each of the different platforms. And if you were to say, hey, we should, you know, if you were sitting here arguing, we should allow people to trade tweets between Facebook and Instagram or trade assets or trade followers, it would be kind of confusing as to how that practically happens because these things are not composable. They're not like, I can't put a tweet in Facebook. It almost doesn't make sense. Is there, is, does that problem exist in these games where like, if I'm in Fortnite and trying to go to World of Warcraft, like how could I move, like the, the things don't, you know, they're, they're, they're like totally different structures, you know? Maybe you could have the same shirt or the same skin on. So I don't know. Does that kind of technical challenge exist? And, or is that not the right way to think about it? I clearly understand the question. So the technical challenge, if that exists, so we talked with a lot of TDOs, the uh, game publishers, developers, heads of studios, there is a technical challenge, but it's doable if there is a clear incentive from the game developer and IP rights holder. Right. And you are 100% right that we are missing the business case for them. They've asked to show them that if you open up the secondary market, you will make more money on the initial sales, the initial market. And also, if you provide the proper tools for the players, they will create inside businesses in the ways you wouldn't even imagine. And that would enhance the experience for everyone who is inside the ecosystem. Just give them the tools, give them some freedom. And let's see what happens. So are we missing that kind of case? Yes, we do. But it's going to happen within the next 12 months. I can almost guarantee you that. Now, do you think on some level, when you made the argument about the country analogy, you said it, when countries open their borders, they have more trade, there's more prosperity. Totally agree with that. It seems to be one of the, you know, 
dominant reasons why I think America's GDP spiked up because it had such strong international trade and other countries the same way. Uh, Singapore comes to mind as well. Do you think that there's also a trade-off in that the countries start to look more similar to each other? Like on some level, if you, if you limit trade, you, you know, you can have more of a distinguished culture or in the case of gaming, like a distinguished experience where it's, you know, if I brought in my guns from Mm -hmm. World of Warcraft into that, then everything starts to kind of look the same because everything's like, it's all, it's like a bunch of individual lakes that are all now connected. So all the pieces all look the same. Is that a, does that present like maybe a, a negative experience or just not negative, but it presents more of a homogenous experience. Everything's kind of looking the same across the different games. I'm smiling right now because for the moment I mentioned, like, if you will allow everything to be used and traded everywhere at once, then it's going to be like a crazy circus. That is true. Yeah. And I don't think it's going to happen this way. So the steps we're probably going to see in the near future is that one big gaming company will have, for example, two different games. One will be a sports game. The other one would be a racing game, but he would be able to buy, acquire, or create a specific, for example, sticker, which you could put on your sports helmet or on your racing car. And thus, handmade created like examples of what would enhance the experience. That would be the jumpstart of all these things to happen, where the amount of users using it, having fun with it, will not just double, but go up or like in geometrical speed. That would be a but handcrafted experience. That is true. You wouldn't be happy if you're playing a pirates game and conquering different lands to see something which uh, what is uh, far away from the lore. That that's what that would be the job of the game developer. What yeah. you're allowed to get in and what you're allowed to get out. That's why, for example, on the marketplaces like we built, you can swap the items from one game to another, just because you don't need mo- you don't need any more of those items. But you're playing that game. You're just swapping one one item to another one, and you're getting into the other game. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So allowing the game developer to effectively maintain the consistency of the game experience, but also have kind of uh, some things that are allowed in and, and allowed out. Now, what has been the the type of games that have adopted this philosophy early on? Has it been smaller games or games based in a certain country or language or style of games? Like, what are the patterns you've seen for early adopters? Well, worldwide, I would say that it started with Valve and CSGO Dota Team Fortress, where they allowed us as gamers just at least to trade the item from me to you and you to me. That allowed many other services, like hundreds of other websites, to utilize that ability, as uh, as I told you, uh, either to help to cash out or to lend some skills or do a lot of fintech things around it. That was the jumpstart of was, I don't know, close to 10 years. From the NFT and blockchain standpoint, the examples were sometimes like creating numbers, like acting fancy, they did drive the adoption to unforeseeable numbers before. That is true. But the, let's say the monetization model was, let's say, far from perfect. So I, I, for, uh, I've been, for example, maybe I just realized that maybe it's coming from the Burning Man thing because I've been coming there for like five, six years in a row. And after I got there the first time, I was so amused by humans' creativity, which I wouldn't be even able to imagine before. And since then, I believe that every other human personally could create something which other one would never even think about it. So from my perspective, the best approach would be to build the ecosystem and then give us the tools to create something. I've seen some of the games in the development 
where there are systems of, for example, contracts within the game. And we can put in the contract whatever we think with some milestones and pay some money or items for the milestones, which one of the parties will do. And that's framework. And then we can put there whatever we want. And that could inspire some other businesses. And this is why the Linen one, it's not a set in stone virtual world, but there is something which you can change a little bit in your own way and then trade that experience with some other players. And I said, there was much infinity thing. There were other games close to Tamagotchi things or card games, um, collectible card games. It's fun, but mostly, uh, most of the times, it was a lot driven by just making more money and getting there earlier than later. What I'm still waiting for, and uh, I've seen some of the great examples in production right now, where that would be just an ecosystem for creative people. And uh, I believe we'll see some of those in the next 12 months. And, and what's the general size? Like if you had to give a best guess as to the, the, the actual economic activity or in some way to measure the number of transactions or value that's happening on NFTs on the blockchain in gaming today? Well, I see numbers like getting a four to five billion this year and over six billion mm-hmm. the next year. But those numbers were calculated at like in mid-summer, like June, July. Since then, we've seen a huge drop in crypto, in crypto prices and we're trading and etc. So I wouldn't think that it's going to grow the next year. We are probably, mostly, heading into worldwide financial recession. So we have a couple of very unique things right now we see. For example, that the venture funds have the record amounts of dry powder in their war chests. So the amount of money venture funds have right now, they have never had before. And they have to invest it by, by, by the job. So you, have the idea, you, you can just sit on the money. So we will still see a lot of investments. We will still run of crypto companies, Web3 and gaming, getting the investments. But what I think, is going to happen is that we'll see less investments into early stage and bigger checks into those who have already proven the business model of the vision and such. Because if before I've seen checks like spray and pray for like 12, 18 months and let's see what happens. When the recession has come, with the runway, the, uh, the startups will have to get it's at least two years. If you own crypto and leave it on the exchange where you bought it, like Coinbase, that is a mistake. We've heard the news lately. Exchanges closed, accounts frozen. We're learning the hard way that crypto on exchanges is not really in your control. So what can you do about it? Well, you can get a crypto wallet and control the crypto yourself. And that's why today's show is sponsored by ZenGo. These guys realize that storing Bitcoin and storing crypto yourself can be difficult. It's risky to keep private keys. They realized this and said there's got to be a better way. So they created a crypto wallet that is fully recoverable. So say goodbye to lost Bitcoins. And the security of this wallet is incredible. It's a hacker's worst nightmare. They use a three-factor authentication, including 3D biometrics, so no one can access your wallet except for you. And Zengo realizes that at different levels of the crypto journey, you have different needs. So they offer 27 support and have real people that are available to contact directly within the app. They have a bunch of different coins, Bitcoin, Ethereum, Tezos, and more, and they have all sorts of NFTs available as well. So now for the first time, you can keep your crypto safe with the same tools that the big guys have used for years. Download Zengo, that's Z-E-N-G-O, and use code ATC to get $20 back on your first purchase of $200 or more. 
That's $20 back for your first purchase of 200 or more. Use code ATC and check out Zengo. So, and that's very closely connected to the amount of transactions and loan awareness transacted in NFTs and uh, cryptos. I think that the next year will be maybe, uh, I hope, uh, the same as it was this year. And then 2024 would be another year when it's going to go because the best projects was, will survive this, this downfall and then rocket, rocket launch what they have and what they have built. Yeah. And I assume you're... Yeah, totally. Yeah. And I assume your general scope of this is all crypto companies, or are you talking specifically about gaming? Honestly, if that's yeah. going to be all our, all our like startup uh, ecosystem, mm-hmm. it's not going to be different in crypto or, for example, in fintech or I don't know, any other, uh, any other investing uh, sector uh, in the United States. Just because the recession is coming for everyone, for cryptos or low cryptos, it's all the same. And the buying power and the amount of money we're ready to transact uh, in the games and such. However, I've been doing business in the gaming industry for the last 15 years. And every time there was a recession, actually more people were coming to games, playing and spending money just because that was their best way to get out of maybe sometimes not the very best reality. To spend the social time with friends, to achieve something, to get somewhere in the dungeon, kill a dragon and have fun. And I've seen revenues in the gaming industries getting up when the, everything else was going down. I've seen that a couple of times already, so fingers crossed. Because Wesley and NFT is right now very much connected to the gaming as well. That's interesting. A little bit pre-show, we were talking about the influence that science fiction, game, anime, a lot of these stories that, particularly when you're young, you see end up getting played out in the real world later on. I think there's also an influence that some of these, the reason why some of these early stories hit, the reason why they become, they really resonate within society is not random. It's that in some way it is, it's deeply intuitive that, you know, we might go to Mars because why wouldn't we, right? We're like on this planet, we're bursting with energy and intelligence and innovation. So like, it would make sense that we kind of keep the system, keep the, keep the train going, like go on to the next one and the next one. And so I think the, the type of stories that get carried out through society and really ripple end up, like you said, playing out or manifesting in reality when you, you know, hit your 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, and you actually have the capital and resources and time to do it. How do you see the influence today? Like, do you stay in touch with the stories that are being told to the youth? And what are, how do you digest those stories or think about what's coming down the pike in terms of like, you know, the, the, the story aspect. There are two sides of the coin. So one side of the coin is that I've been reading lots of sci-fi since was, as I, since I, I was a kid. I'm still reading everything I could, especially those like so few, those few good to language words. And I don't know, from the last years, uh, there's things like Three Body Problem or Children of Time. Oh, this is inspiring. This is what sets up the grounds for this future wishful thinking exploration. But I do like sci-fi. I read it a lot and I enjoy it. But what I really believe, what connects every other generation altogether, that would be funny, but this is honestly what I think, is TikTok. Because that's one of the black hole thing. When watching it from... There is a lot of educational stuff. For example, I've been, uh, I've been subscribed to a couple of uh, astrophysicists who explain you in the short and very straightforward videos what's happening, how it works, and such. However, what I could see, and I have like three, and being like 18, 21, and 23, and what I've seen that um, TikTok unites us all because we are watching and creating the same jokes 
the same cultural code and the same, I don't know, narrative. And TikToks is what, what is uh, uniting us all. So when we all come into one room, we, we've consumed the same content, the same jokes. I haven't seen it ever before. Because, for example, in Twitter, I don't think they will ever consume the same content I'm consuming. But in TikTok, it's joining every other generation together. And this is what I like about it. It's mainly controversial, but that's what actually happened. Yeah, I tend to think that TikTok has a higher bandwidth of information throughput. So you're just able to passively consume a lot more, a lot faster. And just the general user interface compared with like, you know, Facebook, which is mostly text, some picture. Instagram is like mostly picture, but a decent amount of text. Twitter, 90% text. And then TikTok is like 99% video in instantly loading. And so there's just not, I can't imagine how you would consume information faster than TikTok. And then I, I sort of think of TikTok as like, it's the gym you go into in high school where everyone's in the same room, but they're clustered in different areas. So you can see everybody else, but you're, you're kind of like far away. Like you might get one, you know, one video every day or every week about something that you're not really interested in, but you like, you know, you see like anime or like physics or whatever the thing is, but there's a whole cluster of people that are, are that are, that are in that, in that subcluster. It's like, we're all in this shared space, but, but kind of different clusters. Totally agree. But the only, and the most interesting for me difference between the other social networks is that the, those clusters we're in, uh, TikTok constantly tries to get you into some other and new content. They're constantly trying to merge you like a little bit with another cluster. You're watching, like, I don't know, just the politics and some point, a couple of videos, which you would probably like with the anime. Or you're watching just some funny dances and etc. And then the next time they, they'll just show you some fun video about the astrophysics. The physics. So, and the algorithms are so good that at some point you realize you're consuming more or less a lot of different content. And that's what enhancing your brain cells and neural networks. That's what I like a lot. Because the bubbles they created on Twitter or Facebook, I haven't, I haven't felt that never. But in TikTok, they're constantly pushing your bubble. And that's fun. That's good. Now, what do you think about the influence that if you boil TikTok up to the developers, TikTok is a, a Chinese-owned country. China has, you know, their infamous firewall, which they allow, they really try to ban the internet and ban really all intellectual trade. They're very concerned with preserving ideas and controlling narratives. And that's, this seems to be very relevant because China is you know, about to be the world's largest economic power, possibly military power. And they, if they have root access over you know, TikTok, which is the largest social media network, it creates a lot of polit political agitation because not only could they see everything you create, see everything you consume, they might see your location, they might have all your private information. And if you were to say 10 years ago, hey, we're going to take hundreds of millions of people's information in the U.S. or in the Western world, and we're just going to give it to the Chinese government, there would be, it would, that would start a war immediately. But yet that's kind of what's happened through voluntary divulging of information in return for this entertainment value and connection value. Do you see that as being something that is like the, the trigger point that creates either a, a banning of TikTok or in some way you know, like for instance, you can't use, you can't use social media networks in China, but yet China can make 
social media networks and the rest of the world can use them. So there's a strange, there's a strange one-way barrier that's, that's happening that to me does not seem sustainable. And by the way, where, where are, well, tell me a little bit about you. So where, where are you in the world? Where, what part of the world are you most familiar with or have lived the most? Just for context. That would be a little bit more context that probably you're, you're expecting. You know, I was born and raised in Ukraine, Kiev. And for many years, I split my life in between LA and Santa Monica and Kiev. And we had a huge office in Kiev right before the war started. But two weeks before it started, I rented out a plane and I got everyone out. Just from the perspective that if something is going to happen, we're staying in control. And if not, then we will just spend a couple of weeks all together somewhere in Montenegro. And then everything, when everything happened, that was something what saved the company and, wow. and made a lot of things grow. That so, was one of the bad decisions. Yeah. Would the, would the men in particular not have been able to leave had you waited the two weeks? No, no, it was before the war. So I rented out the plane before the war, like two weeks before. Right. Because I have a gut feeling that something was going to happen. And the worst thing is that a lot of, oh, well, I, I know people from the company who, who and their relatives were living in the cities. Where, where all the atrocities from the Russian army have it, like in Bucha, in Ukraine, they were there. And if I wasn't uh, renting that flight and getting them out, I would probably see either them or their kids. And that was insane because we actually moved everyone with families because they said, you can get your like wife or kid. Uh, it's just not the parents, but if you want the parents, they could pay for that. But uh, we were paying for the, the, the family. And I remember that after the everything happened with all the atrocities and bombings, and I, I've seen I've seen the wife and one of my daughters on the streets of Montenegro. She'd seen me and she started crying because that was one of the also very emotional moments because she knew that if 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 we didn't do that, probably she wouldn't wouldn't be alive. Neither, neither she nor her kid. Mm-hmm. So that was that. Now we established the office in Lisbon where everybody is now. Well, everybody from Europe is now in Lisbon or from Ukraine. We have just a couple of people left in Ukraine. And I hope at the moment, sooner than later, when the war ends, everyone's going to get back because that's, that's whole. But for now, everybody's in Lisbon. So yeah, uh, it, I'm, I'm getting back and forth the UN. Yeah. And, uh, I just had a curiosity. Were there any, I know the men were under mandatory conscription. You know, the, the men in Ukraine couldn't leave was the general message I picked up on. Did any men on the team elect to go back or what was the general attitude behind the mandatory conscription policy? We have around like 10, 10% of the people who actually served in the army, like, uh, like the head of payments was in the army and was actually defending the north of so, uh, Kiev, like Puche, and the rest. He is now back and working, but he's like on the short boat, he's coming back to the territorial defense when they call him. Yeah, we have a couple of more people like through uh, design who are still like at, at arms and defending the country. So that's, that's, that's what we have. Mm, and, uh, there were one of the things I, I did in the first weeks of the war in LA, we created the group called uh, Ukrainian Leaders Against War, where we gathered lots of entrepreneurs and we were uh, connecting with senators and, uh, and congressmen and congresswomen, of course, in the United States and asking for help. And uh, no, first of all, that was first time in my life when I've seen how, how democracy works. Yeah. When I'm talking to the uh, senator from California, I forgot to just, it's a little bit, I was still. Oh, that's well good. The mm-hmm. name of the person. Yeah, it's fine. Yeah. Yeah. I've been talking with her and her office and uh, well, she's, she's great. Uh, she's great. She's doing it uh, for so many years. She's an amazing woman. So we've been talking with her about what Ukraine needs and how, and why I remembered about that, that I've been uh, getting on the calls 
like together to, on Zoom, a couple of our guys from the company who were like in the trenches. And they were saying like, we are missing this and that and that. And right now, right here, defending the country, please help. So, Silver Feinstein, that was her office. So, and that was like Tuesday. And we said like, you know, like Ukraine needs this and this and that. She said, all right, can you do that in writing? Like we did, we sent the email. Wednesday she came back and said, like, is that right, correct? Did I understand everything? We just did a couple of directions. And that was probably Thursday when she gathered a bunch of other senators on the trends of ours and etc. And then signed the petition to Joe Biden that moved like uh, Ukrainians need this and this and that. And on Friday, Biden said, oh, well, the senators came to me. So now I'm giving this $1 billion to Ukraine to help with those irons. And I see like, well, Britain works by itself in that petition. So I understand that it was not just done by us, but the thing that he can actually call the senator, tell him like, we need your help. So that, all right, what do you need? Like this, this, and that, all right. And then Biden like, okay, like, if senators want, then we need them. And this is $1 billion and ours were sent. So we did a lot of great things with what uh, was you love uh, group uh, afterwards. But as I said, those, those people moved uh, from my company, like we've been fighting in front lines. We've been connecting them to the calls. And one of them, for example, was under the, under the barrage. So she was driving and t- t- telling the story about what's happening, how's the war. And then the mines started to drop. And he's like, oh, I'm sorry if I'll pull you back. And like, everything is fine. But when it happens live, for the, for the senator or congressman, it, it, it helps to bring the energy. And then the guys who are doing the live streams from Bucha, okay, and the parents of my wife were my old party. Anyways, uh, it's probably not the, not the, not, 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 not the worst story of, of, uh, around the coin podcast, but um, it's great. Uh, we're helping a lot as a company, as person to person thing. And I just hope that it was so unimaginable for me when it's year 2022, we're building metaverses, we're launching walks to the Mars, and then the guys like, Let's kill other people who just did that. What the heck, man? Yeah. Just, just build AI, build the mentality. Do what? Why? Well, why? We're not in, in year 1933, 1939. Yeah. What are you doing? It's unimaginable. Why? Yeah. So that's why, well, uh, we're having as much as we can. Everyone is more or less safe and sound, but still the war, um, the war is there. And I just hope that it uh, ends quicker and sooner than later. But. What I would like to say to everyone on the call and on the uh, stream that the amount of help from the U.S. is amazing. And thank you, everyone, for that. Mm, yeah. Wow. What a powerful story. Yeah, it certainly seems like they're, the people leading the war, particularly on the Russian side, are just living old fantasies. You know, like you say, we're in 2022 shooting rockets filled in metaverses. It's like they're not, you know, they're not of that mindset. They're really thinking the storylines from, you know, Cold War, World War II. Yeah, right. They're old, old people. I mean, we have you know, a gerontocracy of people who are in their 60s, 70s, some 80s leading these countries, U.S. included. It's like, you know, the, the, so I think that just puts a, a tremendous amount of tension between generations on what the priorities are. And the advantage of the young people is that the old people will die. So eventually <laughs> the stories transition, right? That's one thing we know for sure is that... Every human being comes into this world and leaves this world. So if anything, I think that's the, like the saving grace behind keeping the stories moving and not being too fixated and attached to old narratives, because there is way more interesting and exciting future to build and zero sum mentality, which is like these kind of conversations, everything we're talking about in the metaverse. And like, it's not even just the metaverse, it's just the internet 
it really opens up the, the whole world, an entire universe of creative potential, which brings all the financial benefit to your physical reality. You know, you can be in rural Africa with an internet connection on Starlink or something, and then be able to learn a skill or build a product or offer a service that then enhances your prosperity in the physical world around you, which ultimately is like, it's actually, happening. you know, yeah, it's actually, it's really happening. And, and people start to climb up this, this ladder of, uh, you know, Maslow's hierarchy of like food, shelter, relationships. And then it's like a job I don't hate and actual creative prosperity and sharing that with other people. So we intuitively as people, I think, want to climb this ladder, right? But then there's also, there's, there's counter tension, right? It's not all, obviously, it's not all roses all the way up. But, you know, in general, what I believe in that there is no way where the past can win over the future. So if we are with you are like building the metaverses, selling the, the Mars, the rockets, the uh -huh. Starlings, the AI. So this narrative, you can't beat it with some old stories like your parents date like Cold War. So it's just, it's not how it works. It's just, as you just said, like the time passes, those people die and the future no. comes. There is no way out. Like the past never beat the, beat the future. But, but it does, it does, the past can, the, the, it, making wrong decisions and having the past forces win on battles create a price for the future. Like one, one thing that comes to mm -hmm. mind is like in the 70s, really the late 60s, 70s in the United States, there was kind of a, an explosion of psychedelic use. And there was a, a counter narrative by the president at the time to ban this. And really now it's, it's obvious that it was for political reasons, but the banning of it for 50 years was basically like the old ways winning and then stifling innovation in this area of mental health and plant medicine. And so now it's like we have a world where how many people are suffering from mental illnesses, probably because of the stifled research and development in this other area. So the price you pay is like, you can't ever win. You know, the, the old ways can't win, but they can slow down prosperity and cause like progress, like tumors in, in the collective consciousness. Yeah. Slow down the progress. Yeah. That's how I think of it. Well, even who am I to talk about the, the, the politics, but especially overseas, but still like, I know the countries, not only world, who've been adopting anti-abortion laws, like in the last couple of years. Uh, yeah, really. I, 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 I see. Like fifty years ago, women were protesting for it, protesting for it, and then they won won that, and then the world leads to the future. And somebody, no, oh, no, let's get back there. Really? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, a lot of this is just is just re. So, I, my my thoughts on this is that the tectonic shifts are happening, like the tectonic plates are moving, and they're still not settled in yet. So, I think really Web three, crypto, blockchain, AI, VR, the metaverse, and you could like probably sprinkle in some like economic restructuring, like the general fatigue of the institutions, you know, U.S. government, large institutional credibility is at an all-time low and decreasing. So I think all these together are like, they're all in, in transit, right? Like think of your own world, like gaming and NFTs and AI, VR, all this stuff is, it's not settled in yet. Everyone's really excited because the future has not yet arrived yet, but we're working really hard to make it happen. So it, because of this, this movement or this volatility, this unsettling, I think people feel a need to question what is the most assumed 
truth that we share. And abortion kind of it has a convergence where it's it's something that you can you can push on. It's not relevant today for anything. It's like we we didn't near 2022. We didn't develop any technology. It's not relevant other than for the point of te- it's like a litmus test on how stable society is. If you can push on that from a regulatory perspective and get like a rock wall pushback, maybe like you could 20 years ago, okay, society is pretty stable. If you can push on it and you're like, okay, we have enough critical mass to like move the, move the, you could almost think of these things like abortion is like a ticker symbol for a stock. You know, the stock of Apple goes up and down and, and there's pressure on either side. There's buy and sell pressure. And usually in, in low volatility times, the, the stock is relatively consistently priced. High volatility times, there's a lot of change in the buy and sell pressure. And so if things rocket up, they rocket down. And think of the same thing can be true in the political sense. You have like a, a ticker symbol for abortion, right? How many people are on either side of this argument? And in high volatility times, that goes up and that goes down and it moves around a lot. So I think each of these, I think we're not just in a volatile, volatile period economically. I think it's socially. And so these ticker symbols, which have been pretty consistent, start to move around. I will definitely agree with you. And I think it's, it's connected in a hard way. Yeah. So if the, the economy was going just out, there was no COVID, no war, no Chinese tension, so or, or no like, so like political tensions. So who would ever think like, oh, let's push that button and this button and this and like antagonize each other just for a little bit more. But at the moment, when we felt feel uncertainty in the in tomorrow, and this uncertainty is only growing, then it's so much easier to sell us politically, sell us something what was in the past, and we're like we remember then when when it was true, the times were better, the good the, the grass was greener, and you're like, oh, all right, maybe let's get back there with this. And we will feel more stable. So this is where I totally agree with you. Mm-hmm. And this is just playing on those on those buttons by politicians. But um, I just hope that as the moment we overcome the crisis, that 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 tickering it's it's gonna slow down. Yeah, yeah. My thought is that as a lot of the things that we're really excited about, the lot of stuff that you're working on, the lot of stuff in crypto, Web three, all these technologies start to converge and materialize as real tangible benefits. And they start to normalize as like, you know, every car is driverless. Like instead of looking at phones, we look at like AR glasses and there's like real substantive benefits practically in people's lives from these technologies. They're not just speculative stuff. Then I think, again, things start to crystallize and we start to move into like good times, quote unquote. But that's the that's the urgency of it, right? That's what fuels us to move in this direction, to build in this direction. I would add up to that. that that's the quote for my advisor, Creek Hawkins, who was the founder of Electronic Arts. So we've been discussing a lot, like even many years ago, about the NFTs and trading. And he said something which I've been using and thinking a lot lately, is that at the moment, just one day with a certain amount of users, will open up its trading providers in real omission, then you can't put the genie back to the bottle. Every other game will be able to be developed with the closed account. Nobody will get a play. If in this game, I own what I buy, I can trade it or I can flush it. But this is my decision. I won't play the game, which is just, you know, close and then you're like, whoa, 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 what are you trying to do? Mm-hmm. So that's what I will deliver. Yeah, I think that's true. I think as long as as long as there's enough of a critical mass, 
Like the genie has to be far yeah. enough away from the bottle that it's impossible to put it back in. Like in Bitcoin, right? Like could the U.S. government today ban Bitcoin? I don't know. Like I, I know that they could pass a law and then, but would there be riots in the streets? Would they practically be able to pass it? It's, it seems like it's almost just too far outside of the bottle to like, what would be the reaction if that happened? Hypothetically, I, I don't know. I mean, it, it's, I would protest. That's something I would get out of my house and go to a March for, because I, I believe in that, that future so strongly. And I think a lot of people, I almost think Bitcoin maximalism is the most, it's the most underappreciated ideology in that sense that it's, it's like a sleeper, it, which is good. You know, you want to have it be a sleeper and then just continue to grow and build and gain notoriety without imploding with stupid scam projects. Yeah, that's true. That is true. I couldn't agree more. I, I want to ask you a little bit more about the trajectory of, I mean, we, we touched on a few big ideas, gaming, obviously with what you're working on at D market, we talked about the, the, the war your experience in Ukraine. And we talked about the trajectory of human beings. Is there anything of those that you wanted to add to this? I, anything that you think about or any concepts or ideas that you want to throw out there? Oh, well, so, uh, I have, this is funny story. Because for example, yeah, I have an example. I don't know whether this is something you wanted to hear or not, but this is something I've been debating with uh, friends a lot recently that I'm pushing as hard as possible for the metaverses to come out, to be built, and to be successful. And thus, the next step for us will be the actual Netflix experience, where like Neuralink or any other company just put the wire into our head, and we have the full experience, like we're in a dream, but we're in the game. Like full, full, full immersive experience. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. So what has been disturbing me a little bit and thinking about it that uh, if we get to that technology before we get to Mars, probably nobody's going nobody's gonna to go to Mars anymore. So if we will be able to just plug in the plug in the plug uh, and build the metaverses we want, fly on the dragons, conquer the, the, the pirate ships or whatever we want with full experience, for us as humanity, probably it would be close to impossible to gather light and to push us to other planets. And this is maybe a strange thing to think about it, but crossing fingers that would first start building the colony on Mars and just then afterwards, we get the, to the full immersive experiences. That's that's one of the controversial thoughts. Maybe you wouldn't mm. agree. Yeah, I, I I tend to think there's a similar to what we were talking about earlier, where there's a a distinct difference in lived reality from generation to generation. You know, like Putin's experience of World War II, Cold War, like that's his head, that's his base reality, and then. You and I largely are like internet children. So we're thinking like, what are we building? How are we constructing it? That's our base reality. And so that defines our social networks. It defines all of our occupational expertise. It defines all of our value structures and what we really care about with, you know, I, I'd way rather be, I'd be bothered more if someone was banned on Twitter than if they were, you know, if they went to prison for, right? Like, 
the, the reality, the, if they went to prison and they could tweet, to me, it makes no difference. I'm like, well, this person that I'm interacting with on Twitter is still there and now they're just in a different place. So, but there is just a difference between realities. And I think what you're elucidating is that there's going to be the next step in base reality, which is like plugged into the back of the head. Probably true, like given enough time frame, it's hard to see otherwise like why that wouldn't be the scenario. But I do think that will be nonlinear distribution across society. It's not going to be like a spark where everyone wants it all at once. So people who still live in base reality, physical reality, they're going to be the ones to be like, I don't need that Neuralink stuff. I'm going to Mars. So th that's the great thing about the fact that we have billions of people and different preferences and ideas is like, it doesn't, you don't need everyone to go. You just need like, you know, a couple thousand people to go and see the planet, right? Yeah. So I'm, I'm more up. But I like, I like when, no, no, I'm, uh, honestly, uh, if you give me the choice, like right now, plug the, plug the flight. So let's go to the metrics. Really, honestly, I, I, I like the immersive experience. I'd, I'd rather build the worlds and deeply inside myself, I think we live in the virtual world. Just we don't have the controls. So at the moment I can build up close to real world, but some victory rules, socialize with my friends and fly the dragons to the, to the castle. I will do that 100%. Yeah. So I just think that probably your, first of all, I, I like you calling this the base reality. So this is telling me a lot about how we think in many ways. So yeah, I just think that, for example, in the next couple of years, what we should see, and I'll just say that, and then uh, in a couple of years, let's let's see whether it happens or not. Uh, um, I really believe in lots of AR things. Like, like the next generation would be obsessed with wearing those glasses or even the lenses, just the contact lenses, where the whole reality will be augmented mm. and we will meet each other and see each other in the base reality, but in a different form. Right, right, right. Kids. Yeah. And this is what the next generation 100% will be used to. And this amazes me even more because it merges the base reality and the virtual one. And we can still touch each other, each other, but see whatever the heck we want with the mm. parrot or with the dragon. And I hope that comes sooner than later, especially was I've heard that the Apple glasses are in the works. Lots of other companies are doing it. And uh, even that guy who been working in, in HoloLens, he was working in HoloLens and then for like a couple of years. And then he went back to China, opened up his old company. And he, yesterday he started selling his AI glasses on Amazon for like 300 bucks. A HoloLens Zoom team. But fails to win. So good. probably that AR future. Yeah. I think for us as consumers, it's good because it's 300 bucks. It's yeah. not $10,000. Yeah. So that would be the next steps for us as consumers to see that gamification in the real world. Whereas again, NFTs, skins, trading, creating some shows, entertaining. That's what I'm excited yeah. to see in the next couple of years. Yeah. Yeah, right. It, it took, I mean, even when the iPhone first came out, conceptually amazing, lightning, everyone got it immediately. I, iPod, phone, computer, or the internet all together, like that Steve Jobs famous speech. But then it's like iPod, iPhone one, two, three, four, five was kind of slow and barely usable. Like, I think iPhone five was really the one where you're like, okay, I could actually use this. I could go on the internet. I could check my email. Like prior that it's so, it was so painfully slow and like, it was, but, it's, but I think that's the beauty of it, right? Like they're on quest three right now. Like Meta's about to release that. So yeah, yeah. Th that's the natural evolution. Things are really expensive, slow, bulky, but like, as long as you can get the hook, right. And, and you get enough traction to keep the ball rolling. That's what matters. I clearly remember when 
like 50% of my work shifted to iPhone 3GS because it was enough power and enough connectivity and enough what it was giving me just to do already half of my work just from the world, from the phone on the go and where I was. The last one before uh, iPhone Core, which had uh, those, it wasn't smooth on the board, uh, on the on the corners. It was like uh, the, Yeah, I, I remember that one. It it the the I think it covered like hundred percent of what I needed for my work. And I remember people when they were meeting with me somewhere in the middle of the day, like, oh, I knew watching on my phone constantly replying emails and saying like, hey, yeah, yeah, that's my job. And they didn't believe me that you can do your work from yeah. the phone. Yeah. So I remember, and I agree with you, but for me, it started from the GPS. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, in fact, even until like 2010, people didn't even believe that the, the that companies were going to build apps. They're like, why would you ever leave the computer? You have all this functionality, a great user interface, a mouse, keyboard. But the one feature that the iPhone had that you could take it anywhere, just you made it so form factor, si all that shit kind of just was... It was a thousand X feature benefit in the fact that you could take it anywhere, but yeah. Awesome stuff, man. Let's, let's wrap here. It was so fun. I appreciate you going extra Vlad. Congrats on all the progress, especially Pleasure. through such turbulent times. And it's such an inspiring story too, to see democracy actually function and be useful to help you, the team, the country. So D market, do you have any personal social handles you want to throw out places where you're personally writing or tweeting or anything? Oh, uh, well, you mean the social network accounts or for you, for you personally, we'll include all the show notes for D market. Sorry. But yeah. So uh, I didn't prepare anything just uh, to, yeah. to share. It just uh, was a pleasure to talk and to, yeah. Oh, no, I was going to ask, any, any, are there any places on the internet that you want to put out, like your Twitter handle or places that people can reach okay. you or follow you? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, my Twitter is uh, Portal of Life. My Instagram is Portal with double L. Because since I was a kid and playing Diablo, the first one, I've been dreaming about the Portal teleporting people. So writing it was double L since then. And that, that's my nickname since then. So yeah, Portal Live or Portal on Instagram, uh, that's me. And thank you very much for the invitation, uh, Mike, and what a pleasure to converse. Mm. And hope uh, everyone has uh, the same feeling after watching what we just uh, did together. Talk soon, man. Thank you for listening to Around the Coin. If you enjoyed the show today, consider giving us a quick review wherever you listen to podcasts, tweet about it, or text it to a friend. We really appreciate all the support and growing that we can. If you have any guests you'd like us to bring on or feedback for us, don't hesitate to reach out. We would love to hear from you. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner.